0: So we're going to be reading out of John, and then we're going to read out of Romans. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will provide to the world that you are my disciples. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they, they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. And then in Romans... But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just praise your great name. Your love knows no bounds, there's no way to measure it. It's greater than the sea greater than the sky all the stars but yet you love us enough to send your son to die for us so that we can be together we just pray that today that you would just bless every single person here that if they have never known love like yours that you would just pour it out on them we just pray as a family that we will be united together every day so that people know who you are through the way that we love each other. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen.
1: You can go ahead and be seated. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, I would like to just take a moment, and I do want to say that, um, you know, I do think that while the church needs to be careful not to make marriage or being in a relationship, and idol, and I think that it is something that churches sometimes struggle with. Um, I do want to also say that marriage is a gift from God and that being married, um, for me, is a huge grace. And, And I know many in this room would say, as much as we'd say joking aside, but I'm very thankful for Don. Um, Don and I have been married for almost 20 years. This will be 20 years. And um, I was thinking about, in the last couple of days, about how we met. And I don't know if any of you have heard the story, but um, I saw Don my first day of, of undergrad when I was in Bible college. I saw her and I was like, who's this lady? And uh, so I went and my sister was really good friends with her. My sister, who I never, ever hung, up, hung out with ever, and so that night I called her, I was like, hey, do you want to hang out sometime? And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah, I was just feeling like maybe we should spend some time together. You know, I mean, I, we're both in college together, and it seems like we should do that. And then my sister was really excited. She's like, oh my gosh, really? And I was like, yeah. I don't know, maybe you should bring one of your friends too. What's Don doing? And uh, so that's how I started planting these seeds. And, and, uh, and so I was trying to work up the courage to go hang out with them. And uh, I remember I was sitting downstairs in this in this, like in our, in our commons area for the dorm. And uh, Dawn that morning had just had her wisdom teeth taken out, correct? And so I didn't know that. And I didn't know what the drugs that you take make you do or act like. And how many of you have gotten a chance to talk to Don, though? Just out of curiosity, like she is literally the sweetest, nicest human being outside of our home I've ever met in my life. No, right? Is it not? It's true. She is so nice. She's a peacemaker. She's kind. We were just joking around this morning. Terry and I were like, if Don did something really, really wrong, everybody would still take her side. I just like know it. That's just not. It's not fair. She's so nice. So anyway, uh, she walked in. And I saw her coming, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is my moment. I said, hey, Dawn. And she had this really nice car in college. I was like, hey, we should go hang out. You should let me drive your car. Can I drive your car? She said, never, literally screamed it and ran up the stairs. And I was like, I guess we're not going to go out. This is not happening. And, uh, and then the, the next day, I think she, like, like figured out that she had been not the nicest human being. And so she made me a batch of cookies, chocolate chip cookies. I went to my mailbox and there were cookies in it. And I was like, I'm going to marry this woman. And thankfully uh, I was able to, we started dating. I started hanging out with my sister more. And then after we started being an item, I never talked to my sister again. I just started talking to her a couple of months ago (laughs) and she's not bitter at all. But I'm really thankful. For my wife, and uh, if you're married, I hope you're thankful for your spouse. And you know, the thing about about love and about marriage is that marriage is really hard. We always joke around that, but it is right. Husbands don't say anything, but wives, it's hard, right? It is. It's really hard and challenging. And being in relationships is challenging. But the thing I love about Jesus and the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is that even though we go through challenging, difficult things. Um, When there's love involved and when you invite God's presence into things, he's able to help you go through those things. And it's not just marriages. It's any relationship that we're in. And that's one of the things I love about Valentine's Day, I just want to say, is a lot of us think about Valentine's Day just as romantic love. But Valentine's Day is actually based off of two saints in church history. And both of them were named Valentine. And both of them were very committed to the concept of love. But it wasn't just... Um, like, relationships between husbands and wives. They were committed to love uh, as, a, as a value system and as a, as a way of living. And the reason why they did that is because they were followers of Jesus. And followers of Jesus should be committed to being loving. Amen? Amen? And so what we're doing right now is we're, we're in this sermon series that we started last week that we're calling Ancient Ferment. And if you've ever done any, any thinking about fermentation or if you've ever been around the process, it really is interesting how how things just over time develop. Whatever food or drink you're, that goes through the process of fermentation, it is really interesting how it starts out one way, but after, after things happen, these things we can't see, as those things happen, those drinks or those certain food items develop and they, and they take on different flavors and they're things that people pay a lot of money uh, to consume. And so what we're doing is we're talking about how over the course of, of God's, providential presence, and as He's developing things in our lives, individually and collectively, the process of fermentation is, t- is taking place too. Like we, we can actually trust that God's at work in our lives. I don't know about you, but there's been many times where I wake up and I'm like, I'm like man, I just need, I need some more of God's grace or whatever. But if I look back in my life to where I was 10 years ago, I can see growth and I can see transformation and, and I can be thankful for that. Anybody else in the room thankful for that? But God's work in your life, right? And that's the process that the early church look to. And so what we're doing is we're talking about these values or these dispositions that followers of Jesus have been embracing for a very long time. In fact, when historians look at how the church grew, they have to marvel at the fact that the church shouldn't have grown given the cultural context in which the church was developing. And it was really countercultural the way that the followers of Jesus lived their lives. They lived under a value system that many people thought were odd or didn't make sense. And so what we're doing over the next two months is we're, we're looking at those different values and we're considering what they are and, and how they should function in our life. And last week, we kind of introduced this, that the early Christians were known for love, patience, they were committed to healing, they were peacemakers, they valued friendships, relationships. They were committed to head, heart, and hand. They were known for their holiness and piety, and they also were hospitable and were committed to evangelism. And so this week what I want to do is I want to spend some time talking about today's subject, love. Because, again, Valentine's Day is not just for married couples or for people dating. And so what we're going to do is we're going to jump into this topic of, of love. I think that understanding love is actually pretty crucial in today's world. Like, I think if there's anything that we really need to spend time thinking about, given the context that we live in, I think we need to think about love. Like, what is love? But understanding love is crucial for followers of Jesus because love is connected to God's identity and his character. It's it's who God is. In fact, um, when we talk about the language of love, I think it's most appropriate to think about love in the context of speaking about God. Like, we can't speak about God without speaking about love. But really quickly, if you grew up in church, in in specific churches, you may not think of of love first when you think about God. Like, I have conversations with people all the time, and when they think about God, they have other words that they use to describe who God is. Like, um, he is angry, Anybody grow up with that? Like you, your your first thought about God was not love, but was something like anger, or He was ready to just throw down lightning bolts. He was a cosmic killjoy. That God didn't didn't enjoy creation, and that most of creation is bad, and God was just ready to ready to judge you. Does anybody grow that, grow up that way? Just a curiosity. Yeah, a few of you did, right? Like, like, it's interesting because churches have this, this, this way about them sometimes of making God seem, seem, um, seem not loving, but to seem really angry. And yet, in the Bible, it's not just that the Bible describes God as being loving, but the Bible actually says that God is love. It's actually not just, it's not just declarative about him. It's also part of his being. And we see that in 1 John 4, eight where John, who I would encourage you to read the whole book of 1 John, because all over that book is is teachings on love, but he says, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He's love. It's part of his identity. It's part of his being, and I really think that that has become, for me, one of the most important questions, is when people are wrestling through, like, who God is, and how they should relate to God, if we're not coming from a a perspective that god is love then we're off a little bit we're off a little bit now here's the the problem with that is that there's a lot of different understandings about love in today's culture and society which we're going to talk about in a moment but i just want to say that this is supposed to be the christian experience the christian experience followers of jesus your experience should be wrapped up in encountering god's love like if you are a follower of jesus and you are not basking in or or celebrating or receiving or regularly experiencing God's love then that's something that we need to pray for and that you need to pursue. And I'm telling you right now that this is transformative. Like I thought a lot about my my childhood and my story. Okay, so I grew up in in church world. I've been in church literally as long as I can remember. Anybody else grew up in church? Like you've been there. You know about felt boards? right? And you know about Sunday school songs and, and all those things. Well, I grew up in that way, too. And, and for most of my life, I would not have used the word love to describe God. It just would not have been the first word that I would have described. I would have, I would have said things like, God is awesome. Remember that song? Our God is an awesome God. He No? Okay. You guys are so, <laughs> you do remember that song? It's like, I had this friend in high school and, you know, like, we would say everything was awesome, right? So he, his mom would drive us to school, and we'd be sitting in the back seat. We'd be like, man, did you check out Michael Jordan? How many of you know Michael Jordan is GOAT? Let's just make sure that everybody knows. It's not LeBron. Okay. So we would talk about Michael Jordan. We'd be like, man, did you see the game last night? And I'd be like, yeah, Michael Jordan was awesome. And his mom would be like, God is awesome. I was like, oh. So that would like, she would not let us use that word for anything other than God. So that would have been probably my first word. Like, if you asked me what was God like, I'd say, he's awesome. Right? Mrs. seeley said so. Or I would, have, I would have used words like, he's holy, because that was another word that I was taught. I was taught about God's holiness. And he is, amen? God is holy. He is altogether pure. I, I, I would have used words like that, though. Holy, he is. he is holy. He is awesome. I might have started to lean into, like, he's... He's gracious because that was something I heard a lot, but I I didn't really know about God's love. And, and, and it wasn't because I hadn't heard it, but I had not had a an encounter in a, in a way that the Holy Spirit awakened my heart to the love of God. And some of you know my story, but it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s, really, and I was at a conference, and I wasn't even in the music time of the conference, I wasn't even in a sermon, I was literally sitting in a meeting where they were talking about, about Bible education, because I was thinking about switching the schools I was at, and I was just sitting there, and as I was sitting there, all of a sudden, I just had this unique experience of God's presence, where I discerned, I just, like, I knew God was right there. And all of a sudden, I was flooded with emotions. And and I'm in a meeting, okay, so just imagine this, I'm in a meeting, there's a guy up, up, up front talking about paying for Bible college and what classes and courses they have, and all of a sudden, I am overwhelmed with the feeling of God's love. Like, I knew that I knew that I knew that God loved me more than I'd ever imagined. And I start weeping okay, like sobbing uncontrollably, like the most embarrassing thing ever. And I'm sitting there, and I remember, and, I, and some of you have heard a story, but I remember sitting there, and I was like trying to process what was happening to me. I was like, okay, I'm, this is, there's charismatics here. There, somebody's probably praying for me behind me, and like I'm getting like zapped by the Holy Spirit or something. And I remember I was like, and I looked behind me just to see there was nobody there. And I'm like, okay. And it still is happening. I'm just feeling love, like waves and oceans of love just bathing me and just feeling that way. And I, and I was just sobbing. And I got up, and, and I made my way to the back where my mom and my dad, and we had brought this uh, a friend of ours who was a pastor and his wife with us, and they were just waiting for me. And I walked up to him, and I'm sobbing. And just, it, you know, how many of you have had that happen? Like, It's gross. Right, and I'm just like bubbling, you know. And my mom, well, I didn't even know what was going on. I had no idea. I was just like, "What is going on?" I'm like going crazy. And my mom walked up to me and she just rubbed my shoulder and she said, "Isn't God's love good?" I was like, "No!" It's like no. It was even more. It was even worse. And then my family was like, "We're going to lunch." And we went to wreckers Anybody ever been to wreckers yeah, you know, you, at Fuddruckers, you walk up and order your own burger, right? So I walk up, I'm like, I'll take a cheeseburger. <laughs> I'll take one, and I sat down, and I was just weeping. I, I seriously cried for like three hours. Every liquid I had was gone. It was just like I, it all come out. I was dry sobbing by the end of it. But here's the thing. That was one of the most powerful encounters that I'd ever had, and my life has not been the same since. It hasn't. And so I, I really do believe that not everybody in this room is maybe going to have the same level of encounter or the same level of emotions, and I know that like, I'm not the guy who, who generally is all weepy, and maybe some of you are like, that seems super weird, but let me just tell you, no matter, no matter if you cry a lot or you just know, I think that our goal every single Sunday is to have a space where people come into the presence of God and, and, and experience God's love. Amen? Amen. It's part of what we're trying to do. Listen to what Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul says. This is fascinating. He, 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 he wanted, I think he, this is good. Like, like, Some of you in the room may totally feel like you've never had that encounter, or that experience, like you know cognitively that God is love and that God loves you. But when it comes to feeling it or, or encountering it, maybe you're not there. But this is what Paul says about this. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And, so remember this is a prayer, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God." The Apostle Paul lays it out. He basically says that I, he says, I pray regularly. When I think about all the things about the kingdom of God, I pray regularly that followers of Jesus would encounter the love of God so deeply that they would know the height, the width, the length, and the depth of his love. Why? Because love is transformative. Amen? Love changes us. Love does not leave us the same way. It actually transforms us, and this is why I think we need to talk a little bit about the way that people think about love in our world. I mean, the word love is thrown around all the time, right? Like how many of you would say you love Chinese food? How many of you love pizza? How many of you, and this is a test right now, how many of you agree that Mexican food is amazing and you love it, right? Like, I mean, I'm not even kidding. When my family's like, what do you want for your birthday? I'm like, there's basically two things, Asian food or Mexican food, because I love them, or I love my vehicle, or I love fishing. I mean, what are some of the things that you love? Be honest right now, Tootsie Rolls? I don't know, right? We have all these things that we say we love. And because of that, that word gets used so often that oftentimes I think we may minimize what it actually means and to maybe misunderstand how it should be used and applied in our lives. I think there's a massive breakdown right now in our culture. I, I really do. I, I think that, you know, there is like, I mean, when I think about the needs of people, non-followers of Jesus and followers of Jesus alike, I think that there's, there's a, a number of things happening. We are having an identity crisis as a culture. Do you know that? Like, people are full-on crazy train. You may be full on crazy trained too. Like we are, maybe perhaps, maybe we're a little off on understanding who shapes and forms our identity. And what happens is is that it flows into a lot of other areas now, to where we live in a society where if you don't fully affirm everything I say, do, then you don't love me. But that is crazy. Do you know that? That is crazy. Like, I hope you're smart enough to realize that if you've ever had kids or if you've ever actually loved someone, you do not affirm everything they say or do. Amen? Like, it's not, it's not, so we can love people without affirming everything they say or do, but we live in a society right now where we're basically being bombarded with this idea that we have to, we have to affirm everybody's identity, and and if we don't, then we are unloving. But here's the reality. Who gets to determine where our identity comes from? That's the, that's the question. It's Jesus. Amen? Jesus is the one we should be getting all of our identity from. And it's not that other things aren't important. I'm not at all suggesting that. But I think that there's this massive misunderstanding and breakdown in our culture about what love actually is. Because we seem to think that we can't be loving and truthful or loving and, great and, and also calling people towards transformation. And that's the thing I love about, about Scripture, is that what we see is we see, we see Paul saying things like, hey, I hope you understand the love of God. And, and love is such an important way of living. You should love everybody. But yet he still also is inviting people to experience the beauty of the kingdom. And so this is kind of like a side rant, I guess because sometimes I think that we talk about love and I'm just like baffled by the way that we're defining that love in society. But a side rant is this. We have to learn, I think, better to keep things in tension. We have to understand that there's tensions and that it's hard sometimes. I mean like, it is super, super hard, if we're being honest, to be both, both gracious and welcoming and affirming, while also being truthful and sometimes calling people to embrace the transformative presence and values of the kingdom. Are you with me? Like, it's not easy. Anybody who says it's easy is not doing it. It's hard. Like, we want to, as a church, I think, be very welcoming to people and affirming that they have been created in the, the image of God. And yet, at the same time, too, saying, hey, Jesus has a way of living that is perhaps really hard, even seems counter-cultural, but is actually going to bring you abundant life. If you if you embrace the teachings of scripture, if you live your life in a way that conforms to the patterns of the kingdom, it's gonna be hard. But guess what? God has promised that he's gonna give you the Holy Spirit to help you through that, but also it's going to lead to your ultimate joy and to help you flourish in life, amen? But that's that's, that's the tension we have. Do you feel the tension? Like it's a tension, right? And and so I think that that's always the question is, is how are we defining love? I had this interesting conversation though with a friend, um, this, this month, February is black history month. And I love black history month because I realized that in my education as a kid, the only person I ever heard about who was African-American that contributed to our world for the most part was a person who had a lot to do with peanut butter. See, I know George Washington Carver. That was like all I heard about as a kid, honestly. And so I've been reading books, and I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the contributions that African Americans have made to our society. Like, for example, did you know that if we didn't have an African American person contribute, we would not have stop signs or stoplights, red lights? Did you know that? How many of you like it when people have a stoplight? Right? Like, there's a, that's an important contribution. So I was talking to my friend Ramon. He's an African-American, and we I was interviewing him about just the value of Black History Month. And he's, we were just talking about how in today's political climate, it's crazy. It's like you can't even talk about race or politics without people losing their minds. But he said something that I, I just was like, man, Holy Spirit moment. He said, man, you know, we were talking about the need for, for nuance. He said, man, without nuance, we can't love anybody. It's impossible to love people without nuance. And I was like, that... It's true. We have nuance if we're loving. Like, let me, let me share a really great, I love this C.S. Lewis quote. Okay, so C.S. Lewis says this. He says, there is someone I love even though I don't approve of what he does. There is someone I accept though some of his thoughts and actions revolt me. There is someone I forgive though he hurts the people I love the most. That person is me. And can everybody say amen? Like, we're really quick to forgive ourselves and have nuance with us, right? Like, I know I did this one thing, but I'm a, I'm a good person deep down, right? And so we need to have that same, I think, willingness to love people, um, not just ourselves, to love people. And that means we're going to have new, nuance, and, and we're going to really understand that loving other people means it's okay to speak the truth in grace and in love. It's also um, it's important that we understand that not everybody's on the same like level as us or the same trajectory. Level's not a, not a good word. Take that back. Scratch that out. Not everybody's at the same place as us, okay? Like some of us, maybe we feel convicted about certain things quicker than other people. And we need to have room to where we can speak the truth in love and yet also um, give people space to like discover things for themselves, right? How many of you realize that until you discover truth for yourself, almost it just feels like it's, it's almost impossible to like get there until you fully wrap your head around it? Do You know what I'm talking about? Like faith? Like faith, until you discover God's love for yourself, it might just be a concept that you hear. And that's why I think Paul's prayer is so important, that we would join his prayer that everybody would encounter God's love. Because if you encounter God's love, it transforms you. Amen? It transforms you. It really does. And so I really think that we need to, to jump into understanding what the Bible teaches about love. And so that's why this morning we had a number of passages of Scripture that Jennifer read for us that we, we really do need to go back to the Bible. I mean, I hope you hear that every week. You need to get into Scripture. You need to wrestle with the teachings of the Bible to understand what, what love is. Because if you look at these passages of Scripture, you'll see that love is a commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples. Meaning, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to love people right you have to love people jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the lord your god with all your heart your soul your mind and your strength he says the second commandment is just like it you have to love your neighbor as yourself so what are we supposed to be known for our love like that's what we're supposed to be known for is our love our love and then we see here that love is not just words Right? there 's nothing more frustrating for people to have someone to say, "I love you and then to treat them like garbage all the time amen like that 's not love what we see in romans five eight is that God showed his great love. other translations will say God demonstrated his great love for us that while we 're yet sinners, Christ died for us so it 's demonstrated and then I love how Jesus says in In John 13, he talks about how the world will know us by our love. The world will know us. The world will see us and and determine that we're so different. We're so countercultural because we love our enemies. We love those who treat us poorly. We're kind to people despite maybe disagreeing with them. And it's okay to disagree. It's okay to speak truth. It's okay to do those things. But we have to do it in in love, that's right. The early church was so committed to love. And I'm going to invite Riker up here, wherever he's at. He's probably with a babe. No. Well done. Um, Riker's going to lead us in communion in a moment. But the early church, th- this is what I think is so fascinating. The early church was so committed to love. They were known for their love. Like the early church, when you, when you study the first three, 400 years of church history, one thing that's crystal clear time and time again, over and over again, is that they were loving. Like their love made a difference. The way that they extended hospitality made a difference in the Roman, the Roman Empire. In fact, the Roman Empire, the non-Christians, saw the way that the Christians acted and were baffled by it. They were baffled. They, they said things like, man, these these followers of Jesus actually treat non-blood relatives like their family. They, they minister to people who, who are poor and who are down and out. They extend hospitality. They, they show love over and over again. They, so the early church was so known by love that they, they called their early gatherings love feasts. It was a feast of love where people would gather together to hear Scripture read. They would pray together. They would sing songs together. They would be together, and then they would receive communion together. And communion always pointed to the love of God. It always was a celebration of God's great love, which was demonstrated for us because Jesus died upon a cross because he loved us. Amen.